just a minute, um, but uh, uh, it's good to be back with you guys. I got to be up in Idaho last weekend. I was up there for a, a little youth rally, and uh, it was it was super, super uh, beautiful. I was up there in Coeur d'Alene, and just an awesome experience I had with some kids up there. And so uh, it's good to be back with you, uh, but I want to just kind of open services this morning with um, a prayer uh, that all of us would kind of expose our hearts maybe to, to God this morning. I was really touched by Eric's comments. And um, on Wednesdays, uh, we uh, uh, have been looking at a series, just opened a series uh, by Francis Chan uh, recently called Letters to the Church. And if you're available on Wednesdays, I would love for you to come be a part of that because it really is effective, beautiful, and powerful looking at ourselves and God's kingdom and what is this supposed to look like, you know, and it really has already impacted me a lot. So I pray you'll be, come be a part of that too. Uh, let's let's pray together. Uh, my God, I just um, I ask this morning that you would um, open up your word to us, uh, God. It's, even in this parable, um, you 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 say, Father, that uh, your know, hearts can be hard. Um, the ears are given to us to hear, not to hear, and uh, it's 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 difficult, Father, looking at something as um, powerful as this is, and uh, and at the same time knowing that my heart represents all of these soils in some way. And I'm asking God that you would ooh, cultivate us, um, cause us to be pure, cause us to be uh, uh, just just more dedicated to you. I pray for fruit in my life. I pray for fruit in the life of this church. It's in Christ's name I come before you. Amen. Um, so I haven't had a dog in, um, it's been about eight, nine years and we just got a puppy last week and um i i it, it you know i'm i'm in love with him already his name's copper i I'm, didn't bring a picture today but at some point i'll show you a picture of copper he's he's precious but i was at the the vet i was at the clinic with him and uh this was the first time i had been in a clinic with my dog since i had to sit down with my last dog and put him down and that was eight years ago now, you feel cheesy, and some of you have had to do this, but you feel so like, am I really crying over a dog right now? But I mean, I cried for days when I put my last dog down. It was serious. I didn't know it would be that big of a deal. His name was Canaan. He was a 120-pound lab, and he was a lap dog, like most big dogs are. But um, anyway, I was at the clinic this last week, and there's a poem on the wall. And I sat there, you know how they leave you alone in the doctor's office or a clinic for an eternity, okay? And you sit there with nothing to do but stare at the wall, and there's a poem. And the poem said, I memorized it right away, it, it said, um, I, I loved my friend. My friend left me. And so this poem ends as softly as it began, I loved my friend. And I said, that is the dumbest poem I've ever read in my life. First off, that's straight dark. I loved my friend. He left me. What kind of sick person wrote this? Okay, and I was. I was sitting there thinking, what, what? You put this in the office where people are putting down their dogs, man? And so immediately I'm thinking about Canaan, and I'm sitting here, and I start tearing up. And I'm like, no, this is embarrassing. They're going to walk in, and I'm sitting here crying with a puppy. 
so I cleaned myself up, and then I started thinking about the poem, which I actually did hate because I thought it was too stupid and too dark. But then I realized what it was saying. You know, in the second line, all of a sudden it said, and so with this poem ends as softly as it began. I was like, aha, you're saying that the dog was a poem. You're saying that that life was a poem. I see what you did there. And all of a sudden, you make a connection. You know what I'm saying? You make a connection. You understood it, but you didn't connect with it, you know? And all of a sudden, I was like, man, that's awesome, man, that's beautiful and stupid. And, <laughs> and then, and then, um, but I was thinking about these parables, and I said, isn't it crazy how Jesus tells these parables, and you're sitting here looking at these parables thinking, it's kind of obvious. I'll be honest with you, that's, that's always how I've looked at the parables. How did you not understand what he was saying right here? How did you not put this together? The big one with me is, the, and it's the first parable I remember in Scripture, you remember when Nathan comes to David, um, 2 Samuel 12, and he is just, he is just committed adultery with this woman and murdered her husband. And this is what's fresh. Now a prophet comes to him and says, hey, I want to tell you a story. Man, already bad news, okay? A prophet comes to you and says he wants to tell you a story. Run. This isn't good. You should have put this together, David. Nathan comes to him and he says, man, there's this one guy that was pretty rich. He had a lot of stuff, and he had a lot of sheep. And that man had another friend who only had one little ewe lamb. But you know what that guy did? He went and he, he took the other man's ewe lamb, killed him. I, I don't know. I just thought I'd tell you that story. <laughs> and David, <laughs> what do you think we should do with this man, David? Man, that man deserves to die. He should have to pay four times over what, what this guy, I mean, he just goes off on this. And I'm thinking, how on earth did you not make this connection? How is it possible did you not make this connection? And it's the power of the story. It's like he understands it, he gets it, but he doesn't connect with it. And that's the word that Jesus uses in this parable when he opens, talking about this parable of the seeds. He says this about the hard soil. He says they can't receive it. They don't understand it. They don't get it. In other words, you understand the parable. You made sense of all it, but you didn't connect with it. You didn't make the connection is the problem. And the thing is, in these words, in this parable, Jesus says this, this is life changing. This is powerful. If you can't understand this, I don't know how you're going to understand anything Jesus says about this. But if you make a connection with this parable of the soils, you realize, man, this is not just a rich teaching. This is personal. This is my life. You just took my life, exposed it, and here I am right in front of you, and God's talking to my soul. And that's the power of the parables. They are life-changing. So I want to just bring you into this before we get into the thorny soil. This is the parable again. Luke chapter 8. Um, this is also in Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 4, but I'm focusing on Luke today. Uh, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on. The birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. 
such a powerful statement when he says that. Um, I don't know how many of you uh, like gardening, you enjoy gardening. I love gardening, um, and I'm not great at it. Uh, two hobbies I have right now in life, I love cooking and I love gardening, uh, and they go together, but I'm not great at either one of these hobbies. It's just something I love doing. Um, and so I made a lot of mistakes this year, but I'm taking care of probably nine or ten house plants right now, and I have a lot more in the backyard, and I'm trying to keep these things alive, and I'm overwatering these guys, and I'm not watering these guys enough, and I'm learning stuff, right? But here's the thing. Um, I planted, I, I made a flower bed this year, and, and I planted in it tomatoes, and I shared this story with you a couple of weeks ago. I planted tomatoes in it, watermelon, and lettuce. And I was like, man, I cannot wait for this. I got so excited. And now I can't wait to just raise it all down and start over because I messed up. You know, I don't know where my lettuce is. I, my tomatoes are, I, I, I are just, they consumed everything. And so I've got tomatoes everywhere. I'm sick of eating them. Um, and, and I don't know where my lettuce or my watermelon is. Um, but a couple of years ago, I got super excited about, about, um, uh, blueberries. And I was going to plant blueberries. And did you, did you know that there's like, what, 200, 300 varieties of blueberries? And so you get the, you have to get the right kind of blueberry for your zone, right? So I studied blueberries. And I call Randy Robinette. Some of y'all know Randy Robinette. And I was like, this man knows blueberries. So I'm going to call him. And I said, can you tell me how to plant blueberries? And he said, um, do you have some time? And I was like, man, do I need time for that? Okay, I'll call you back when I've got some time. He sits me down for 45 minutes to tell me how to plant blueberries. And I mean every detail from peat moss to what kind of soil we need to everything. And I mean, I was taking notes and I said, I'm going to have the best blueberries, man. I can't wait to go. And I did everything just like he said. And he said, now the first year, you're not going to have blueberries. He said, but second year, man, just you need to be patient. And I kept going. Now, there's one thing he didn't tell me. Don't plant a blackberry bush next to your blueberry bush. And I planted a blackberry bush next to my blueberry bush. I did everything right. And this thing grew. And it did. It grew. It did okay. But I never got a single blueberry in three years off that bush. Not one. And I did everything right. The problem is it got choked out. It got choked out by something that was just a little bit more powerful than it was. And the blackberries took over everything, which isn't a problem. I love blackberries. But I wanted to kind of bring that home in this parable and share something that I hope means something to you. This is what verse 14 says when Jesus is explaining the parable. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they don't mature. And I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, man, this, this pot's been sitting in my garage, and I've been waiting to plant something in it. And I was thinking, well, what if this pot represented my life? This is me. And, or maybe this is a child you're raising. This represents you, all right? And it's like, I have one thing I can put in here. This is my life. And I'm going to decide what, what goes in this thing, man, and what am I going to consume my life with? And I'm like most of you, I've consumed my life with a lot of things over the years, there was a time where Texas Longhorn football was what filled this pot. I, yeah. It's obviously no longer happening right now, but I still like my Longhorns. Um, we lost to some high school team in the Northeast recently. Um, um, 
There was a time where video games filled this pot. There's still a pretty good portion there. Um, there's a time when, 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 you know, as I was younger, girls filled the pot. There's a time where there's so many things that you're like, this is what consumes me. This is what I think about. It's my future. It's my goals. It's my aspirations. And there are a lot of good things you're putting in here. But from the time you are a child and your mom is raising you, your dad's raising you, you're deciding what's going in here and what you're filling your mind with and your heart with. And throughout the Bible, I could not believe this. There was actually too much information for me to even present today. But I just typed in heart, and I literally went through every single reference to heart in the Old Testament. And man, that will take you on a ride. And you start finding out how often God hardened someone's heart. How often it says his heart was turned astray and he followed after idols. How often it says your heart and it says different things. And I almost wanted to categorize it, but it looked like the Old Testament divides what can happen in the heart into about four different categories. And they pretty well fit this parable of what seems to happen in people's hearts. But I have one thing I can put in here. Now let's say, for example, let's say that... um, I got to Ken Goldsberry. I don't know if Ken's here today, but uh, Ken has a, all these greenhouses. This is an amazing place you go and you just watch it. He gave me a tour of all of his plants and all of these greenhouses, and it was so enlightening, right? Plants that they have created there that exist nowhere else in the world, right? Stuff that you're like, what is this? This is crazy. And he was so finicky and detailed about this leaf is shaped a certain way, and if it's not shaped exactly this way, man, that's not what we're going to use in this next, I mean... They were putting some love into this, right? So imagine Ken comes to me and he says, Jeff, I found the perfect blueberry seed. Um, this is it. This is the only one in the world. This is sacred. This blueberry shames all other blueberries. When people eat this, they cry, man. This is, this is good stuff. And he gives me this and he says, I'm going to invest this with you. I'm going to give this to you. Now, what am I going to do? I'm going to take that, I'm going to put it in my pot, and then am I going to put a bunch of other plants in there? I'm going to, put a, I'm going to say, man, I struck gold with this. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to water this. I'm going to, I'm going to research this, and nothing's going to compete with this because I understand the value. Now, it's a cheesy analogy, but I think one of the biggest problems in my life, and I know in the life of the church, and uh, Wright is going to talk about it this Wednesday in our, in our class, is we've underestimated how sacred the gospel is. cheapened it and 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 not really elevated it to what it it should be in our lives and it's something where it's like you grow up and you go to church and you go to class and you have sports and you have all these other things and Christ is a part of my life but I haven't put that and I haven't elevated that seed to the sacred place it should be in my life to what it deserves to be in my life and all of a sudden It kills me when I realize this portion of the parable, this is the only plant out of the four, well, now there's two of them, that survive. Do you know that this one survives in this parable? It doesn't die. Just one thing happens to it. It doesn't mature. It doesn't bear fruit. And all of a sudden, you look at your life and you remember the joy that you received the gospel. And I, I want you to think about this morning. Think about... Who was it that really got your life on fire for the gospel? If there was a reason for it, that where you you made that transition where you're thinking, oh, religion, maybe, maybe not, and all of a sudden you're like, 
Oh, I'm going to take this. I'm going to put this in my life. And my life's on fire. And this is what my life is dedicated to. And all of a sudden, over the years, something seems to happen. And the worries and the cares and all of the things that are in life and all the other pursuits start to choke it out. And the problem with this soil is that I can't understand how it's possible that we don't struggle with this one. It's, it, it, all of us have all of these other worries and cares and desires. All of us have to pay bills. All of us have to get jobs and futures and all these things that we consume ourselves with. I'm not sinning if I'm, I care if the Broncos beat Seattle today. I mean, I, I have this. We all have this stuff. So how do you know when it's choking you? How do you know when all of a sudden the gospel that's in you, the life and the purpose that God invested you with is suffocating? And that kind of brings us into next week and what's going to happen next week uh, when finally we're talking about the good soil and the rich soil. But I realized it's, the problem is this. It's not bearing fruit. And you think about it when, when Christ stood before him and I, and I had that debate in my mind which Fortunately, it's no longer a debate. When you get to the end of this parable, when you look at the good soil and it says, and it produces a crop 60, 100 times, is he talking about winning souls? Or is he talking about producing the fruit of the Spirit? Which one are we looking at, you know? And that used to be a debate in my mind, and now I realize, man, it's the exact same thing. Those things are not, they should not be separated. But you look at your life and you say, Am I full of joy right now? Am I full of joy? Peace. Can I really look at my life and stand there and say, peace? Patience? Would people that know me say, that is a patient man? Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Am I a gentle person? And here's the big one. Do I have self-control? Can, do I have control over this vessel at all anymore? And love. Do I look at this and is this fruit still there? And if it's not, something is choking and suffocating me. And I have to figure out what it is in a hurry. Because the point of my life is not to survive The point of my life isn't to say, I still believe Jesus is the Son of God. I still go to church. I still worship. The point of my life isn't just to survive. The point of my life is to thrive. The point of my life is to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. This amazing thing happened to me this last week, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but this amazing thing happened to me this last week. When Brad asked me to meet with somebody, he says, man, would you just meet with this person and, and just share your life, share faith with them, just talk to them. They want to know more about the Bible. And I was like, yeah, of course. So we met together, had an amazing talk about faith, Christianity. And he said something so powerful. And I said, I'm just so curious, what made you... What made you interested in talking about the Christian faith? What made you want to know more? And he said, CSU is full of negativity. So much negativity. And he says, there's one person that wears the name Christ, and there's a light in their life. And I had to know more, and I want to know more. And I was thinking, man, if that was the testimony the church had today, 
You know, not, I won this debate with you, come to Christ. Not, you know, hey, look at the show we got going on at our church, come to Christ. Man, no, there is this fruit of the Spirit that is there. It's everywhere. And it's what our design, how about this? It's what your life was designed to do. And all of a sudden you see life lived as it's intended to be lived. And you're like, I want that. And I think that this one soil more than any of them, is the one that I look at the church today and say, we really have to be careful right here. Because if all of these things are not happening, it is not the fault of the church. It's not the fault of anyone. The problem is, I have planted other seeds somewhere in my soil that have no place here. And I want the roots to consume me entirely. And I want to give myself entirely to you. I want to read to you something from... Isaiah chapter 44. And this is when God is kind of mocking the idea that people would make idols out of wood, right? And he says this. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god. His idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me. You're my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. And their minds are closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, Half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what's left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? And I just love this one verse where he says, no one stops to think. What am I doing? And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what a message, because I'm so curious what Jesus' audience was. Jesus wasn't leading people that were Christians. Some of them were. He's talking to the masses, the way we're living life, the way we're doing things. And he says this, stop and think. You are living for everything that is going to be gone. And you can mock religion, you can mock Christianity, but the bottom line is, am I speaking the truth or not? You're living for something that is temporary and is going to pass away. Stop and think. I'm trying to give you a seed that is eternal. I'm trying to give you something that will radically transform your life. And, and to me, when I look at that, and I look at that parable, I'm, and I'm just going to, I want to lift up this prayer that's in Psalm 119. How about this simple, short prayer? Psalm 119, 34. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. I thought about that, that prayer and that verse And this parable, uh, what he's saying, and I'm thinking, God, I need this desperately in my life because the rocks in the soil, I didn't really identify with that. Sometimes that's happened. I don't feel like I've ever had a super hard heart. But this one, these weeds, these other concerns and other cares that start to choke out what matters and cause it to be unfruitful. And that people could look at Jeff's life and they could say, look, it's green, it's thriving, it's growing, it's good. But at the end of the day, is the fruit there? 
And if the fruit is there, love, joy, peace, all of these things and much more, if the fruit is there, that fruit should be what produces the crop in the end. That fruit should be what draws others uh, to God. And I pray that it would. It says this in John thirteen thirty five. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. Again, in 15, verse 8, says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He said in Matthew, No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl, but high in a lampstand. It gives light to all in the house. Let your light sh- shine before others that they may see, uh, they, they may glorify God because of you. And so this fruit that comes about, whatever evangelism is, it's not because we are master, um, uh, we're not commercializing the church. We're, we're not sitting here saying, this is how we can get as many people in, because everybody wants to be a part of a club. It's not hard to grow churches. Uh, people get lonely. And if you find the right way to match make, people love it. But growing the kingdom of God Really growing the kingdom of God and the fruit of the Spirit, that's something that's only done by the Spirit. That's something that is done by the fruit that's there, right? And so I want to pray uh, just for myself and you. I want you to think about this. I'm praying God do these three things. I'm praying that he remove rocks. I'm praying that he cultivate softer soil. And I'm praying that he just take down the junk that's in our lives, the weeds, the thorns that are congesting and suffocating what the gospel is intended to be in our lives. Um, Father, I just want to come before you and um, I ask, um, I beg of you, God, that you would soften our hearts. I pray, God, that you would take the most unlikely person right now and they probably know who they are. I pray that you would take the most unlikely person and that you would speak deep truths in their lives. I pray, God, that, um, that your church, and I pray this, Father, all the time, and I, and I mean it, I, I pray that your church would be recognized today, not by anything, not by a professionalism, not by anything other than the very presence of your Spirit and your people. Uh, God, that, um, that we won't have the kind of joy that is just a giddy, purposeless joy, but Father, a joy that's rooted in something profound, the fact that we know that we're strangers and aliens in the world, knowing that there's a future, knowing there's a promise, knowing there's a hope, knowing that there's a you and you love us so much. And I thank you, God, for creating us with the potential to bear fruit and a life that matters and a life that counts. Um, And so I do. I want to beg of you, God, that you would remove the rocks, that you'd remove the thorns, and that you'd cultivate us heart, cultivate in us hearts uh, that that really glorify you in everything. I want to pray for the the people that maybe you've brought here today. uh, Just maybe just that one person, God, that you've you've brought here to hear that message for your kingdom. And I pray, God, that you do something powerful in their life and in my life. And uh, that, that I would never, and you know I have, I would never take for granted the beauty and the sacredness of the seed that is inside of us. Um, bless your word to our hearing today. 
In the name of Christ, amen. Let's worship our God together.